Well, good morning. So happy to, so happy to have uh, the children with us this morning. And I want to talk for a few minutes about saints. What does it mean? What is a saint? What do they do and why? At some point early in our marriage, Laura and I acquired a plate that has become uh, part of our family lore. It's uh, gaudy red, not like anything else that we would ever put on a table. And on it are written in large white letters the words, you are special today. And uh, we use this for birthdays. I don't know why, when we started doing that, but way back. And, and so on the birthday person's day, they have at their plate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the you are special today plate. And especially at dinner, it's, it's something that we use and, and uh, put it in the china cabinet at all other times. It's never used. It's set apart for that one purpose. In fact, I would say that to us, it's holy. And the reason I say that plate is holy is the word holy simply means set apart, like distinguished from other things, set apart for a special purpose. That's the basic meaning of the word. And in the deepest sense of the word, God is holy. He is the one to whom it applies in its full sense because God is set apart from everything else that exists. God's holiness is what sets him apart from us. In ourselves, left to ourselves, we are not holy. In fact, the Bible says we are unholy. But God is um, unique. He's exclusive. He's matchless in every way. And and the most important ways in which we would say God is holy are in his abilities and in his character. In his abilities, uh, God is complete, perfect in every way. Uh, We can think and we can act because we're made in the image of God. But our thinking and our doing, the Bible would say, is just a dim reflection of God's unparalleled power and his complete knowledge. And when we think about those things, it is meant to make us feel small, to make us feel weak, and to promote our being submissive to God. So God is complete in his abilities. And God is also complete in his character, sometimes called his ethical goodness. God's goodness is something that so permeates everything that he is that he becomes the definition of what is good, what is right, Because of his very nature, whatever rules we might follow, God didn't just make them up out of thin air. They are a reflection of what he is like. And uh, people often don't understand God's goodness. They think that God is good in the sense that he does good things for them and they feel good. The problem with that is people are also so easily disappointed as soon as something happens that God does that doesn't feel good to them. But God is right. The Bible tells us that even his motivations and his actions, everything that he does is right. We fall short of his goodness. Now, at the same time that we acknowledge that about God, God is great. He's far away from us, high above us. Yet even though that's true, God calls everyone who believes in him a saint. And the word means holy one, or holy person. So in our passage this morning that Jody just read to us a few minutes ago, Paul writes to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be 
saints. Now, the word saints is confusing to us for a lot of reasons. Probably the main one is that there is a church tradition in which some of you grew up, I suppose, that um, calls people who were particularly outstanding, faithful Christians, calls them saints. In fact, they have a way of officially naming a person as a saint. They have to have died, and they have to have performed miracles before they died. And when the church recognizes them as a saint, from that point forward, they are called saint. Saint Peter, Saint Mary, and so forth. Now, that idea that only some people in the church are saints is not something that's found in the Bible. In the Bible, the word saint is applied to all Christians. And it's exactly the same as other words describing all Christians. The word Christian, the word believers, or the word disciple. It's the same way. And there's another reason that sometimes we're confused by the word saint. There's a, a, a religion that is different from Christianity called Mormonism. And the Mormons call each other the saints. And so that confuses people as to what saints are and what they do. And there's a football team in New Orleans called the New Orleans Saints. I'm not sure if that means they're particularly holy or something, but uh, all of this confuses people. I suppose the word words holy ones is a better translation. That is the literal meaning of the word. But even that is a bit confusing to people. But I want to ask, in what way can God call us saints? It says... The psalmist says in Psalm 15, it says to God, you alone are holy. Well, if God alone is holy, how is it that God himself applies to us, who are believers in Christ, the word saints, holy ones? Well, the answer to that requires that we expand our understanding of what salvation is beyond how we usually think of salvation. We use the word salvation in a rather limited way, And we relegate to other things, other aspects of the Christian faith, to kind of a secondary and sometimes non-essential place. But they shouldn't be relegated there. They're all a part of God's overall work of saving people. Some people think that once we've come to faith in Christ, God has accomplished his work. That's the whole purpose of the church and preaching and fellowship and all the things that we do together is just to bring people to come to faith. And after that, the point is just to hold on to your faith. That's not the Bible's perspective. There's something more to it than that. Think about this one verse. This is from the beginning of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 11. And it's quoted directly word for word by Peter at the end of the Bible in 1 Peter It is God speaking, and God says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And God's point in saving us is to shape us to reflect his character and his abilities. If God is holy, if that's like the inner attribute of God that holds everything else together so that God's holiness is is such that his love is holy, And his justice is a holy kind of justice. And his grace is a holy kind of grace. If that's true, God seeks to mold us to be holy as well in order that our lives might exhibit in the way that we live the power of his grace. And that is meant to be one very important aspect of how we think about ourselves, our understanding of ourselves, our identity, who we are. 
we are meant to be holy. Part of our identity as Christians that should form our self-image is that we are holy ones. We are saints to God. That, what does that mean for us? Um, how does it display itself in our lives, this idea that we are set apart by God, set apart for God to reflect, reflect his character and his behavior in the way that we live? Well, first, we have to see ourselves as set apart for God. That's like the most basic thing. We're meant to see ourselves as people who have been set apart for God. People today speak, if you watch the news, of identity politics, and that simply means that we tend to um, categorize people in our society as falling into very small groups, a lot of small groups that, that you give your first priority to, and it might be based on race, political viewpoint, gender, social status, money or lack of it, and, and so forth. We don't think often about larger categories like character or, or national character or things like that. We think in these small categories. But the most basic identity of a Christian that the Bible gives to us is found in the confession that is made in baptism. When a person is baptized and confesses their faith before other people, the the summary that the New Testament gives us of what they're saying is found in these words, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the summary of the Christian confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. I have a lot of identities in life. I'm a father and a husband and a co-worker, and all kinds of things. But of all my identities, the first and the foremost one is that I live under the lordship of Christ. As a Christian, that is what I have, I have confessed that I seek to do. I live under the lordship of Christ. I live under his authority first and foremost. And any other identity that I have in life is secondary to that. It's less important. That is the pledge from a good conscience, as the New Testament says, that I made in baptism when I was 22 years old, 21 years old. And we face many opportunities in life and many choices, challenges, temptations, just like everyone else in the world. The difference is that we are called to face those temptations and choices and, and, and all the things we face in life. We're meant to face them based on our identity as, as a person who has said, I intend to follow Jesus Christ in my lifestyle. And that, that's meant to shape everything we do. Everything falls under that heading in life. What we watch on television falls under the heading, Jesus Christ is Lord. How, how we choose to treat the opposite sex in every setting in which we find ourselves in life falls under that heading, Jesus Christ is Lord. How we earn money, <clears throat> save money, give money, spend money. Everything we do with financial resources falls under that heading. Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything we do in life is meant to fall under the heading of the Lordship of Christ. I intend to live my life for Jesus Christ. And, and that has profound implications for Christians, particularly today. It has profound implications because we live at a time when people who are Christians are becoming afraid to own up to it. That wasn't true in the past. But it is true today, and the reason is that even though at least a slim majority of Americans still claim to be Christians, even though that's true, we also live in a society in which that number is dwindling by 2 or 3% every year. 
And we live in a society where there is a extremely vocal and strident minority that is accusing Christians and Christianity of all kinds of crimes against modern thought and life. And those voices are so insistent that Christians are afraid to identify with Christ and his cause openly. But you already made that decision if you're a baptized Christian. You made that decision when you were baptized. You said, Jesus Christ is Lord. So owning up to him isn't meant to be a problem, but it is a problem to us today. And we need to fight against it. That's the first thing. We need to see ourselves as people who are set apart to live for God. And then secondly, we need to see ourselves, and not, excuse me, we not only need to see ourselves as set apart for God, but we, we have to see ourselves as responsible to live in a way that's set apart for God. We need to see ourselves as people who are responsible to display the kind of character and the behavior that would reflect the character and the behavior of Jesus Christ. This means that we are to understand that we are called to be saints, called to live as saints, holy people in the world, not just to identify with Christ, but to seek to display Christ's identity to other people around us. If we are set apart for God, that means that we are set apart from sin to live for God, and that's why we are responsible to live that way. Now, the truth is, in a fallen world, even after we come to trust in Christ, we struggle with sin. We uh, will fail at times. We'll become angry when we shouldn't. Uh, we'll be unkind. We'll make selfish choices. We'll do all of the things, potentially, that anyone does in a fallen human world. But the primary difference is, when we do that, we won't defend it. We, we won't say, well, that's just the way I am. We won't say that it's right. When we become aware of something that we've done or said... That, that is offensive to God and to other people, we'll pick ourselves up and go back to God in repentance and confess our sins, and we will seek his power to live in reliance on the blood of Christ. And if necessary, we'll go back to whoever it is that we offended and apologize to them. We won't pretend that we're something that we're not. We won't pretend that we never do things wrong, but repentance will be our response to our failings. We'll seek to be different, both in our attitudes and our behavior. You know, one important thing in life is that you need to seek to see that the Christian life is positive, not negative. And what I mean is it's so easy, particularly if you're a person like myself who came to Christ a little later in life, you may have experienced some things that you knew were wrong, and as you turned away from that after coming to faith in Christ, um, you, you tend to think of yourself as, I'm a Christian, and that means I don't do these things. Well, it may be true that you don't do those things, but that's not what makes you a Christian because you can go to any cemetery this afternoon and walk around. There'll be hundreds of people there who don't do those things, whatever they are, but that doesn't make them Christians. And, and what I'm saying is that, you know, you need to see your life as measured by the things that you do, the kind of person that you are. Now, how do we gain that? Well, I've found I gain it from other people in the church family through the years. I've seen fathers who uh, were really seeking to follow Christ, and I tried to pick up some of those things. I've learned it in all kinds of different places, but I've even learned it from things in the past that I didn't think had anything to do with Christianity. I had occasion to think about an event early in my life this week that, that really shaped 
some ways that I am, or at least the way I want to be. My grandfather, Llewellyn, was a very successful businessman. I didn't know him until later in his life, obviously. I was born when he was 60, and uh, he died when I was 20. When I was 14, my grandparents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, 1968. And uh, I remember that event very well because uh, what they wanted for their 50th anniversary was for their three sons and their sons' wives and all of their grandchildren to come down to Florida where they lived and celebrate it with them. And so we all made our way down there, and uh, we, we had this huge dinner my grandfather put on at a, at a very, very nice restaurant, and we all had to dress up. And, and I remember at the dinner table, I happened to be sitting r- rather near to my grandfather where I could hear him and, and see him among the, the many people. And when the waitress came to the table before the meal... Um, I remember my grandfather talked to her for a few minutes, asked her a little bit, and he said, Dude, do you have any children? And she said, yes, I have three, you know, ages two, four, and six. And, and he said, well, that's so great. He said, I want you to know this is my family sitting here, and this is my wife. We've been married for 50 years today. And these are my three sons. And he introduced all of us, you know, quickly. And um, he said to her, thanks so much for taking care of us on this uh, special occasion. And I think maybe... Part of his motivation was she'd give us good service. If you know, we did that. I, I imagine. I mean, that wasn't a bad thing to do. But uh, after dinner, this is what I remember: when the waitress came to pick up the bill, my father paid for it in cash, like he did with everything. And he he handed her the bill with the cash, and uh, he said, uh, "You don't need to give me any chains. And I want you to know, I put a little extra in there for you." And uh, <laughs> I still get emotional when I think about it. All he said to her was, I gave a little lecture to you, and I want you to use it to take care of those three precious children you have at home. And I didn't feel emotional at the time. At 14 years old, I just remember hearing him say that and thinking, oh, that's, that's really something. But, you know, I never forgot that. I rarely thought about it until I was married and I had children, and I don't know what I was doing, where I was in a restaurant, but I thought to myself, that's the kind of person I want to be. I mean, that's the... That's the way I want to treat people. I want to be a giving, generous person. And um, I don't know much about my grandfather's spiritual life. He went to church, but outside of that, he never talked about God or Jesus. Uh, It didn't seem to be an important part of his life in any other way except going on Sunday. But I know that that characteristic is something I drew from, and I decided, you know, I see that as being in line with what it means to be set apart to live for God. And that's the kind of person I want to be. And it's funny the way God shapes our character and our behavior in life. And what you need to do is not only look at other people that you know and care for and seek to draw from them those characteristics of the way you want to live, but even look back on people that you knew, whether or not it had any connection to the Christian faith or anything like that, because God calls us saints, holy people, and he calls us to be saints, My prayer is that that idea will shape our identity in such a way that we will live that out as we go through life in front of a watching world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we have this morning. We thank you that you are able to shape us, yet your shaping is so subtle and it goes on so slowly that we rarely see it or feel it. 
And yet we want to be the kind of people to whom the idea of being holy ones applies. We pray that you would send us in that direction and help us to be the kind of church in which in the ways that we interact, we point each other towards you and we become those people that you want us to be.